Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi Barno, and I am your host. Before I start, I'd like to thank you for your patience. It's been a long time since I got behind the mic, and I am so happy to be back. Today's episode is a chat with Janea Wilkins, who is from New Zealand and who has just launched last week a Kickstarter campaign for her very own ocean-friendly luxury swimwear brand called Slow Active. In this episode, Janea shares her story. She spent the first years growing up on the shores of New Zealand until she moved to London to follow her master's degree. Obviously, the contrast between Castle Point and London is huge, but that didn't stop Janea from caring for the ocean and having the slower active project in mind. The business that launched on Kickstarter last week is an exciting new venture that involves philanthropy, eco-friendly and ethical garments, female swimwear and activism. In fact, in this episode, we talk about social enterprises. Basically, Slow Active is a social enterprise which manufactures luxury oceanwear and adds activism into the equation. Janea walks us through what this involves. We talk about how she has become an expert in garment design, plastic pollution, slow fashion, creating cradle-to-cradle products and contributing to ocean-friendly charities. It's really exciting to find out how all the pieces of the puzzle join together and the process and the time it's taken Janea to get where she is today. In fact, we also find out how she dared to drop her day job and spend most of her time on this exciting new business. So any future business owners should be interested in this part. Slow Active's Kickstarter campaign started last week and is still on as this podcast drops. So links to it are in the show notes and any early birds will get special prices on the elegant and super soft swimwear designed by Janea herself. All that said, I'll let Janea do the talking and so without further ado, please welcome Janea Wilkins. Hi, Janea, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? Very well, thanks, and thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. So I'm Janea Wilkins. I'm the founder of Slow Active. Um, We're a social enterprise dedicated to cleaning up the oceans and protecting our earth and ocean. And I started Slow Active two years ago with the idea of driving change in a different way. And yeah, and here I am today. (laughs) Fantastic. So you're in London right now, but you are from New Zealand. How did you end up in London? (laughs) Good question, especially (laughs) since my company is, you know, focused on the ocean. I'm landlocked at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've been in London for eight years now. I'm originally from New Zealand and I came over here to do my master's after a very big bout of traveling in my 20s and I got a job in agency and kind of worked my way up to a director level role and yeah I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was thinking about what else I could be doing you know something different something with a bit of purpose I was feeling a little bit burnt out after agency life <laughs> and yeah I kind of took a moment to think about what I care about what I love and how I can couple that with what I'm good at. And yeah, that's how Slow Actor was born. That's fantastic. 
So go back to the background of where you're from in New Zealand. And did you learn to surf in New Zealand or is that something that sort of came as you were traveling around the world to get to the UK? I did, yeah. So my dad's a keen surfer, I'd say a religious surfer. <laughs> I was brought up in Eastbourne and Wellington, so it's a small seaside village with a little local surf break. And as a child, I also spent a lot of time over in the Wairapa in Castle Point, which is where I surfed my first wave with dad. Yeah, and I guess I haven't surfed much recently being <laughs> in London. And in recent years, I've spent a lot of time diving as well, doing a lot of scuba diving and things like that. But right. Yeah, I do miss being that close to the ocean. <laughs> but I guess also the scuba diving sort of alerted you on the amount of plastic pollution that you sort of come across. Is that something that really sparked the idea of creating Slow Active? Because you were saying it's a social enterprise. Could you tell us a bit more about what the social part of the enterprise is? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess it does start back in New Zealand. I'm from a really, really beautiful country. And, you know, growing up, I probably didn't see as much plastic pollution as a child. But as I kind of grew up and traveled the world and went around Asia and South America, Central America and North America, just witnessing firsthand some of the issues that, you know, the oceans are facing today, not just plastic pollution, but many things to do with the corals and you know, and that's from being under the water and on the water and on the beach. So yeah, it kind of, it was one of those things that was always at the back of my head. And I always worried about, I was donating to various charities and keeping an eye on things, but hadn't really thought to do something that was really dedicated to driving change. So yeah, that's kind of what came about when I thought about what I'll do next. And I guess that's one side of it, especially the ocean side. But the other side is the slow side, the slow movement and kind of how that couples in with that whole lifestyle around the ocean and being in the moment and, you know, living with purpose and intent. And the tie between plastic pollution and the fashion and textile industry and how, you know, many of the synthetics in our clothes and microfibers that make their way into the ocean. Um, Living in London, I've witnessed firsthand the issue of fast fashion. It's a very, very, very fast fashion world here in London. And, you know, just seeing this disposable culture of clothing and fast consumerism and overconsumption. So, yeah, it was something I kind of had all these concerns and had all of these values. And I thought, well, how do I bring this all together? Because I know I'm not the only one who cares about this kind of thing. And, yeah, so plastic pollution... I had a great chat with someone the other day about how we believe that plastic pollution is the gateway into environmentalism. You know, people are kind of like, plastic pollution, we can see plastic and we can pick it up and we can recycle it and it's killing our oceans. And then suddenly they start thinking about, you know, climate change and how, you know, humans are hurting the earth. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And maybe you could sort of elaborate on what the slow movement is in general. Yes. Just to sort of introduce the listeners to what it actually means, what the values are. Yeah, sure. I guess the slow movement is an all-encompassing movement, a unified movement, pulling everything eco-conscious together. You know, and that's not just with fashion or with lifestyle, it's with everything, kind of all parts of life slowing down, being in the moment, minimalism, you know, it seems like a bit of a buzzword that we see around the internet quite a lot. But if you really 
kind of strip it back and think about what it really means. It's the art of, you know, focusing on the things we care about the most and removing everything that distracts us from it. And I think that what the slow movement is in essence and kind of, yeah, living your life around that to reflect that. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess it's also sort of gone into food with the slow food movement. And then in Italy, there are even slow cities. And it's a lovely way of actually living. In fact, I've got my favorite magazine is called The Idler, which is a sort of on the art of living. And it's actually also into the art of slowing things down and, you know, just getting back to the things that are more important in life than the the sort of immediate demands of what we have in the digital world. So that's really interesting. So you sort of climbed the corporate ladder in terms of working in marketing and digital. What actually sort of spurred you to actually get the confidence and to think, okay, I'm going to start a business and sort of go full in? That is a good question, actually. So it's something that I had been thinking about for years, actually, while I was kind of working full time for another company. And it was just one day when I was thinking about what I really cared about and things like that. And it was a, it was a bit of a pipe dream. But I thought I might just do something to work towards it in the background, a bit of a side hustle kind of thing. Didn't take it too seriously, didn't take myself too seriously. But I went and enrolled myself at London College of Fashion and did a course on swimwear and lingerie design. By that time, I had already thought up the brand and the brand itself had taken on its own kind of, I don't know how to explain it, actually, its own kind of form, if you will, you know, all of the values mixed together in one brand. And I knew what I wanted to make. I knew the styles I wanted to design. I knew the fabric I wanted to use. I kind of had the vision and I had the pipe dream, but I had to learn how to actually do it. So yeah, so I enrolled myself in a short course and went and learned how to you know, the whole process really from designing to sourcing fabrics to launching a small fashion business. And, you know, it's definitely not something you can learn overnight or from a course just in university. It was definitely a steep upward kind of learning curve. However, it was a really great place to start and just learn the basics. And and it was funny to find myself sketching my designs that I'd actually been sketching in fashion design in high school, you know, all these years later. So it was... (laughs) There's something that's gone further back than just the fashion course. You actually did used to design things when you were little and you used to sort of do the drawings and things like that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Just never took myself that seriously back then. (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. Do you think you could introduce us to actually what the slow active active wear looks like and, and sort of describe it for the listeners and also the positioning of the brand? Yeah, sure. So slow active, we are sustainable luxury ocean wear. Um, slow active is for active women who love the ocean and care about its conservation. We're cause led. I like to say ocean wear and activism because that's exactly what we do in a nutshell. I've built a business model out that is dedicated to giving back to the ocean in a way that is different. So it's a buy-give business model. Mm -hmm. It's called Earth to Ocean. For every piece that you buy, we'll donate to one of our ocean charity partners of your choice. We have three of them. One is Changing Tides Foundation, which is an amazing bunch of female surfers doing amazing things. I could talk about them forever. (laughs) 
A Plastic Ocean UK, so that's headed up by Joe Ruxton, who's the producer of A Plastic Ocean film on Netflix. Again, they're doing incredible things here in the UK and globally. And Project Aware, which is one of the biggest kind of diving, healthy seas, marine debris focused charities in the world who I've been following for well over a decade since I started scuba diving. So these are all charities that are really close to my heart. That's the kind of baseline of giving. And there's other things that we're doing within the product life cycle to kind of offset our carbon emissions, if you will. So mm. every part of the product life cycle is being really carefully thought out and considered right from, you know, the harvesting of the raw materials to create the textiles, right to the processing and the methods to making the garments and moving them, shipping them to the customer and then wear and then you know, prolonging the end of life and second life. <laughs> so there's all these different kind of things that we've thought about. We are in talks with Plant a Tree to offset carbon emissions for each garment. And we're also in touch with a coral restoration company about planting one coral per garment. So it's all about bringing everything from earth to ocean and giving right to the center of everything we do. That's fantastic. Sorry if it's a silly question, but how does the margins sort of cope with all this giving <laughs> in terms of the business model? Does the business model support itself? Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? Yes. Well, the... we'll soon see. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when we are a for-profit, so we're not a charity. Mm -hmm. We're a social enterprise. So basically... I'm not doing this to make money, which is the kind of crux of it. With giving right at the heart of it, I think the business will become self-sustainable. Obviously, there's the costs involved with, you know, buying the fabric and making the garments. Our garments are, you know, it's a high-end product. It's made in Italy, so it's definitely not cheap to make. But I think, you know, the margins aren't there to make lots of money. So it's not a traditional fashion business model where, you know, a large portion of what you pay will go to the company or the founders that's the purpose over profit organization so that's really cool that's yeah. really really cool literally I came across another brand a bit like that in Bali once and it was these kids from the school that I took my kids to who started it and it was the same sort of idea where for every garment that you'd buy they'd buy a uniform for an Indian girl who couldn't go to school if she didn't have a uniform so all oh, sorts wow. of things that it really does make sense these days to be able to identify with the brand and also sort of know that when you're buying it and you're contributing to something more than just sort of the bank account of the shareholders which is really important so yeah uh, that's really cool what's really interesting in your presentation of the product is you also this sort of commitment to raising awareness on plastic pollution and I was astounded by the amount of knowledge that you've collected over the years was this a sort of passion project on the side or did you get help from advisors or consultants to actually collect all this information? Because it's like a sort of PhD of plastic <laughs> pollution. It's amazing. I definitely wouldn't say that. <laughs> but no, it definitely started out as a passion project and it was something I cared about. I kind of call myself an environmental enthusiast, mm -hmm. but not, you know, I don't have a degree or a PhD in any of <laughs> So I did have to spend a lot of time educating myself if I was going to dedicate my whole company. I needed to surround myself with the right people for the cause and people who know more than me about what I'm trying to achieve. So that initial guide, I reached out to a marine conservationist and we had a good talk about 
kind of these issues and put together some key points that we want to flesh out. And, you know, it's not our own unique research. It's really pulling together a guide or a comprehensive white paper, as you'd call it. Yeah. To educate and raise awareness of this issue and just become a bit of a resource um, for people to come to and learn about the statistics. And yeah, and actually from there, that's what started all of the conversations with many people who have ended up on the advisory board for Slow Active. Right. So one example is actually Jo Ruxton from the Plastic Oceans UK, and she'd come back saying, well, you know, actually the big island of trash that's, you know, floating in the middle of the Pacific isn't quite that, you know, it's much worse. It's more of a plastic soup of microplastics that we can't see and I'm going to point you in the direction of this document where you can get this scientific evidence and so on and so forth and so those conversations were really really valuable to kind of building out that sort of awareness work Mm. and the advisory board kind of built itself out from there and it's an ongoing thing I guess yeah but we've got many many more guides planned in the next few quarters but yeah we'll just focus on the launch first <laughs> yes exactly so because this is the sort of the main news of the podcast is that you're launching so sometime quite soon when's the launch date so <laughs> launch date I almost don't want to say it <laughs> we've launched we are live on kickstarter okay so people will have the chance to pre-order the products at a discounted price and there'll be options for you know super early bird and early bird pricing you know for these lucky few who get in at the beginning (laughs) and yeah I'm just super excited about getting it out there I'm really excited with the end product the final prototypes that we've recently you know we've done photo shoots and video shoots and recent months and it's received really great feedback from all of the girls who have been testing the garments and things like that they love the ulex i didn't mention before but the fabric is is ulex pure which is like a better alternative to non-renewable neoprene which is derived from either petroleum or limestone Mm -hmm. so therefore a product of mining or drilling and a less sustainable alternative but it's a really great fabric because it's super stretchy really durable and breathable and I'm really excited about it. Oh, that's so cool. And so for the garments that you sell, so you have some bottoms and tops, you have surf suits, you have swimsuits, one piece. Do you have a kind of cradle to cradle setup where once the garment is used or needs to be, I don't know, recycled or upcycled? Have you actually thought it through right to the destruction of the garment? And if so, what's the sort of whole product's life cycle? Wow. As I said, every kind of point has been considered. We've kind of broken down the life cycle by wear and then heading towards end of life, but second life and then end of life, mm-hmm. um, if you know what I mean. So we're building out a repair system where, you know, if anything happens to your suit, you can send it back to us and, and we'll repair it. Wow. But we're also building out a recycling scheme so you can send it back to us so that we can recycle your suit. We're also talking to an amazing company in the US who make really cool diving products out of recycled neoprene type fabrics. So there is an option to be sending to them as well. What I'd like to do is have something that's local for every single place to mm. reduce the carbon footprint of things being sent around. But yet we don't 
need to worry about that too much yet because we do make the fabric and you know the design and everything it's made to last for years even decades and it's not a seasonal thing you know with the whole slow fashion values so but yeah that will be coming in the coming months for sure actually I had a question about the actual cuts that the designs that you've made so did you design them yourself or did you get sort of help from outside or from your associates to actually put together the designs I did the sketches, so I kind of sketched what I wanted everything to look like. And I had a, quite a clear vision for what I wanted everything to be. And I chose for everything to be black, you know, inspired by the black that we see in nature, the black rocks, black shadows in the trees, black sand. And the collection is called Clean Lines to kind of reflect that, you know, the clean lines we see in nature and the minimalistic designs that kind of come through in the garments themselves it's a very athleisure look to it so there's lots of racer racer backs and flat lock construction for durability zip front sports crops and things like that high waist shorts you've got different kind of coverage options (laughs) that's very important for surfing yes exactly and it does stay on we've tested it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah in terms of kind of bringing the sketches to life I did hire a consultancy to help me with the CAD drawings because I didn't know how to use fashion CAD in in order to put a technical specification together. You kind of need that. Right. So that was really, really useful, just kind of having that additional help putting these technical things into a language that the factory will understand. And actually having been through that process now, I, I think I can manage that independently. So, again, another great Thing to learn and experience that's brilliant that's amazing and so how did you actually sort of come across the materials the urex for example that's a good question actually so a lot of kind of time and thought went into the sourcing of the fabric and the factory and all of the right partners there were many times where it would have been a lot easier to go with a different factory or a fabric for example, Japanese neoprene is a lot easier to get your hands on, but I did want the most sustainable option. Ulex was a really hard one to get my hands on at the beginning because there was a company in, in Asia that basically had the monopoly over the manufacturing of it and kind of still do. So it was either a matter of getting everything made there at a factory with really, really high quantities and it was really kind of high production or finding a distributor in Europe or America where it was easier and a bit more flexible and a bit more in line with our slow fashion values because Mm. I kind of found I was taking slow active down a path that was against our values. So we kind of backpedaled from there and took the path with Italy. And I ended up on the phone with, with the founder of Ulex and kind of just presented what was happening to him. And he said, well, definitely I'll put you in touch with these people and, Sure enough, I was, you know, on the phone to the Italian distributors the next day and the ball was rolling. So it was a very long process, but I'm so glad that it's taken this route because it's very much in line with the vision and what I wanted for it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really nice. And so what does it actually feel like in your fingers compared to a normal petroleum-based neoprene? It's a lot stretchier. And just as durable. I've actually been, because I've got so many offcuts just from when they did the 
sampling process I because I'm all about zero waste so we've got the off cuts and I've been cutting them into hair ties so I actually wear one around my wrist and a lot when I'm telling people about it they, I'm like oh it feels like this so they're reaching over and stretching it out and yeah but it's brilliant fabric and it's super breathable and really lightweight and comfortable so it's not only for to keep you warm it's not like a neoprene swimsuit where it's going to sort of give you an extra layer of thermal insulation it can be sort of worn as a, an outdoor swimsuit and you can go play volleyball on the beach and things like that without sweating too much <laughs> absolutely but it does work like wetsuit material okay. so like if you were to wear the shorty wetsuit in the ocean it will keep you warm <laughs> it's, so it's a two millimeter and it will keep you warm in your arms but obviously your, your legs are out so <laughs> sunscreen on them but yeah the idea is that you know you can go for a paddleboard or play some volleyball go for a swim go for a run and you know it works wherever you are and whatever you're doing that's lovely and so how exactly do you take care of the garments I guess you can't put them in the washing machine or anything no I mean like a normal wetsuit post-surf it's always good to rinse your suit with fresh water and hang it out in the shade to dry definitely avoiding direct sunlight and sharp objects and things like that. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend putting it in the washing machine. Just yeah, just some fresh water will do. Okay. So between the moment that you thought about, okay, I'm going to design a line of active wear line and to the moment that it rolled out, how long did the whole process take you? Well, that's a funny question to answer because I think it took me a lot longer than what it would traditionally take someone who would want to start their own thing up from scratch because there's so many amazing initiatives out there that will help people kind of take a concept and bring it all together within a matter of months, whereas I did my London College of Fashion course back in 2016. (laughs) (laughs) And the ramp up was a lot slower because I really did hold out for that fabric and I held out for the right factory and things like that. Mm. So yeah, so it was years for me and (laughs) I'm totally happy with that. But there's some amazing options out there for other people who kind of do want to start their own thing. Yeah, yeah. And I hope this isn't sort of too intrusive as a question, but how how did you actually sort of financially manage the, to bridge the time between um, starting the company and or leaving your job and then starting the company? Did you sort of have some savings or, um, you know, how, how does how do you actually sort of do that leap into the into the unknown like that? Good question. So I had a bit of savings behind me. And I guess with starting any company, regardless of what you're doing, there's always those basic startup costs and a lot of time required. So, you know, what started as a side hustle quickly became something that I wanted to go all in for. And I think there's two options there. You know, you could do something like that on the side and still have a full-time job and then as it grows you can take the jump in my case I decided to just go all in I was kind of thinking you know go get a full-time job and then do that on the side or get a part-time job do it on the side but what I decided to do is just go all in and if things get bad I can just do freelancing yeah. <laughs> fill in the gaps um, <laughs> kind of things so what I've kind of done especially over the last year is kind of dabble a bit in freelancing here and there and also not just financially really but mainly to keep my mind focused on something else as well you know stimulating that part of my brain because I do have kind of 15 years experience working in something completely different (laughs) 
so yeah it's been a really nice way to kind of diversify my skills as well as a little bit of pocket money yes absolutely and what's been the most useful for you in terms of what you did before in your new position as CEO of Slow Active I guess my last role was director of marketing but the way I kind of got there was actually through being like a digital marketing consultant and my background in SEO and part of that we had to build our own websites and help them rank and talk about things and you know relevancy and all of that and I guess the company that I was in we were just a small startup when I began with them and then we then floated and we expanded geographically and we acquired another company and I kind of worked my way up and grew with the company and seeing that and being a part of that growth was a really kind of valuable experience for me to translate those skills into what I'm doing now. And there was an aspect of business development to what I used to do. So I think that really helped with having those conversations with various partners and things like that. And I guess the thing that I'm the most excited about is that I can now use my marketing and communication skills for a really good cause, um, for something that I really care about, for raising awareness. And it's kind of going to a good place. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really important, actually. And so what have you found the most challenging in the process of creating Slow Active? Well, I think that anyone who owns their own business and, you know, any kind of entrepreneur will probably agree with this, that like you put your heart and soul into what you do and it's your baby. So you don't really take a day off. You don't really switch (laughs) off because you're always thinking about how it's doing. And I guess, you know, the highs are high and the lows are low and do tend to take things personally, even though it's it's a company, it's not a reflection (laughs) of you. And so I think that's the challenge. And, you know, this might make me sound like a bit of a control freak, but like not having control of every aspect of what you're trying to get done, because you do, there's so many moving parts to a business that, and you rely on so many different things, you know, you just have to practice patience. And mindfulness <laughs> and just keep working hard. So yeah. the most rewarding part of it is that like I've seen that contrast from going and working for someone else and putting your blood, sweat and tears, but it's not yours and it's for something else. And then you go and apply that to what you do and what you love and you, you can see the rewards, you know, you can see it kind of come to life in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can relate. It's really. And so what do you find the most enjoyable about what you do at the moment? I mean, it's all about the lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, going back to the reason why I started the brand, you know, love the ocean. I have a deep care of its conservation. So creating a lifestyle around that was my dream. So the fact that I get to spend every day kind of dedicated to talking about that and protecting it and building awareness and and also talking to lots of different amazing people. Like every single day I meet so many different people And we all share the same values. And so it feels nice to be in a new circle with so many like-minded folks. Mm, Yeah, and definitely those sort of vibes attract other people that have got the same kind of interests as you and the same convictions and values. It's really, really nice. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, sort of partly also the fact that we're meeting today. Exactly. So I guess we can move on to the interview and talk about your history with surfing. Just as a sort of um, random question, what did you feel like when you caught your first wave? 
I felt like I was flying. <laughs> That's kind of all I can really think. <laughs> I felt like I was flying I, and I felt like I could do anything after mm-hmm. that. It's exhausting when you're learning to surf because yeah. <laughs> you're paddling and you're trying to duck dive and, you know, you're getting thrown around in the waves and when you're up and, you know, you're actually riding it, it's, yeah, it's one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And what's your favourite board to ride? I've got a little mini mile at home that my dad gave me (laughs) for my 16th birthday. (laughs) It's got a big pink lightning strike through the middle of it. It's very 16. (laughs) In fact, my photo for my school ball, I have like a photo with it (laughs) on the stairwell. So (laughs) I'll probably say that one. (laughs) That's lovely. And what's the favourite place, as you've done a lot of travelling, what's your favourite place to surf? To be honest, like I say, I haven't been in a long time being in London, but I'd say back home in Castle Point. It's a really cool place because you've got two options. You've got the bay or you've got the gap, and they're both on two different sides of the coast. So depending on what the wind and the weather's doing, that you know, you've always got an option. Ah, that's mm-hmm. perfect. It's a bit like Peniche in Portugal where you've always got a one side of the bay or one side of the point that's... Uh away from the winds and you got the swell and everything else felt perfect yeah exactly <laughs> I guess moving on to the sort of routine of this interview that I like to do with my guests is to finish sentences so the first sentence would be I love okay <laughs> <laughs> I love my family and I love my friends and I love to be in nature and I love to explore I miss I miss my family <laughs> my home and yeah, I miss exploring more. <laughs> that sounds very generic, but um, no, no, no. It's so, I mean, being on the other side of the world, it's it's true. <laughs> I wish, I wish that we could make more of an impact in our lifetime with what we're doing, so that we can see it and not kind of just leave it up to the next generation. Yeah, that's lovely. That's really important. And the last one is, I want. I want to do that. <laughs> so I want to bring people together. Slow Active is just the beginning of the journey. What I'm most excited about is bringing people together, collaborating, forming networks and alliances and kind of joining forces and driving change. So every day I do a little bit of that just to try and drive change. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I guess we're getting to the end of the interview. This is the sort of moment for you to... Tell our listeners where we can find you and how to find you on all the different social networks and, and online and if you can buy your products in any shops yet or if you've got sort of things lined up. This is your moment. Oh, how <laughs> exciting. Yes, as I said before, we're launching via Kickstarter. So you can visit our Kickstarter page, our website. So it's slowactive.com, S-L-O-active.com and sign up for the newsletter join the vip list and we're also on instagram that's slow.active s-l-o.active fantastic and i was just wondering if people are on the early wish list what do they get is there a sort of special something or other there is yeah so what we're doing is we're giving everyone on the vip kind of wait list exclusive super early bird pricing and then after that, it will be tiered to early bird and then just general Kickstarter pricing. And also, if you do sign up 
for the newsletter now, you also go on the draw to win £300 of free oceanware. Wow. And in fact, <laughs> I really love that about your website. You've really leveraged all the growth hacking techniques. And that's really, really amazing. I don't know how you did it, but it was really good because if you send off the the, the invitation to more than 10 friends and you get more points, you earn more points to sort of enter the draw to win all the goodies. So that's really, really exciting. And is that through your previous job that you sort of got all these hacks? <laughs> kind of. Also, my advisory board, I've got an amazing advisor who he's got a background in investments, but he also has launched his own successful Kickstarter campaign. So he's been really helpful. But also, I've got lots of friends in the industry who kind of like come on Janae you know you can do this that and the other thing as well right and I'm like yes I know but I've got so many other things to do so (laughs) I'm surrounded by great people who remind me what I need to be doing as well despite knowing what best practices are. (laughs) That's brilliant and uh, yeah I forgot to ask you how many people are in your team right now? Well I mean there's me (laughs) (laughs) so I'm the main guy but I've also got a lovely team of volunteers who are helping and also people who I've hired as freelancers to help with things like PR and got videographers and my photographer she's amazing Morgan graphic designer and a couple of content girls so yeah right that's really but you're not on your own I'm not on my own I don't think I could have done it on my own successfully I probably could have achieved it but not this successfully it takes many hands <laughs> well that's lovely Janaya. I guess we've got to the end of this interview and so thank you very much for being my guest thank you so much great yeah it's been a pleasure having you and if you want to come back in a few months time to give us an update of how it's going and new product releases or new sort of things going on, new partners, new charities that you're supporting. It would be lovely to have your news and just don't hesitate. I'd love to come back. So yeah, thank you so much. It's been lovely speaking with you. (laughs) It's been lovely. Thank you very much. See you. Bye-bye. Wow, that was a lovely conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. I love the way Jenea used her former experience to freelance and bridge the financial gap between dropping the day job and going all in to Slow Active. She's put her life savings into this business. I also love the whole slow movement that is attached to this project and it's definitely something to look into if you want to support meaningful and sustainable products or practices. We didn't get around to talking about this but on the Slow Active's Instagram account, Jenea encourages followers to pick up at least five pieces of trash on any nature encounter. It's not really very difficult to do but believe me, it really makes you feel a bit better about the planet. You can look up Slow Active's Kickstarter campaign on kickstarter.com. Just look up Slow Active. So slow is spelt S-L-O and then active in another word. Alternatively, you can go to the slowactive.com page. So it's slowactive, all in one word, dot com, where the Kickstarter campaign is on the homepage. The campaign finishes on the 29th of June, so it's worth making the most of the great offers before all the good deals run out. And you can also follow Janaea on Slow Active's Instagram account at slow, S-L-O dot active. 
The Ocean Riders podcast is a weekly podcast and I would like to thank you all for your patience last month. I'm stepping up my game now and I've hired a podcast editor. So I'll be doing more of what I love the most, which is interviewing amazing guests and less of what I loathe, which is editing podcasts. So if you'd like to support the Ocean Riders podcast and this initiative and help me pay for my editor, you can visit my profile on Buy Me A Coffee. Links to it are in the show notes. If you enjoy listening, you can also help immensely by telling your friends, your family or any fellow surfers about this podcast. And if you'd like to join me for an episode or if you know anybody who would like to share their story, please reach out to me on Instagram at the Ocean Riders Podcast or via email at hello at the Ocean Riders Podcast.com. You can also get in touch with me through one single link, which is www.linktr.ee slash the Ocean Riders Podcast and obviously on the Ocean Riders Podcast.com. That said, thank you ever so much, Janea, for being such a fabulous guest and thank you guys for listening every week. It really makes my day. Anyway, until next week, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.